Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Freezing Time with me, Sophia Money Coots, created by Offscript. I've watched three episodes in a row of Succession tonight, so I'm quite late with injecting. I completely forgot. Um... My stomach is now so bloated, I feel like if I stick a needle in it, the whole thing's going to explode and it could be a really quite unpleasant scene in my bedroom. Pretty uncomfortable walking around today. feels like, yeah, my ovaries are sort of knocking around in there a bit. <laughs> After lunch, I had to change trousers. I was already in leggings and they were so uncomfortable that I had to put on even looser leggings. So... Yeah, I'm not feeling my absolute best, I have to say. And I'm hoping this has still got enough solution in it. Otherwise, I have to go and get my new drugs from the fridge. Um, weirdly, although it's taking me longer and longer every evening to find a place where I can stab myself, I haven't actually got a single bruise. I mean, if I look, I can just about see a couple of puncture holes. I almost kind of want... A few bruises, so it looks more hardcore. You can't tell a single thing has happened. I mean, apart from the sheer size of me at the moment. Hello, I'm Sophia Money Coots. I'm 35, single, and I'm freezing my eggs. In this podcast, I'm taking you through the story of my own egg freezing, as well as talking to experts and women who've gone through the treatment themselves. In the last episode... I had a reality check after speaking to two women who froze their eggs and sadly didn't end up with a baby from them. And one of the things both Sally and Alice mentioned was the option of freezing embryos rather than eggs. In this episode, I'm going to look deeper into the question of freezing embryos. I talked to a woman who's frozen embryos as well as clinicians and an actual real-life sperm donor. I also reached the final stage of treatment before collection. Yes, it's time for the trigger injection. The day after my bloated diary entry, I went along for the last scan I would have before the operation and, in the noisiest room in the world, I heard what sounded like pretty good news about how many follicles I had and therefore how many eggs I could hope to get. Yes, we've got 25 in total. Um, Great. Potentially, gosh, quite a a significant number of mature ones as well. Okay, brilliant. They're all really, as I say, they're really lovely and uniform. There are a few smaller ones. You've probably got about three or four that I, I doubt would get there, but yeah. if they all contain an egg, you're looking at a really high number. Amazing. From one round, that's a I skipped back from the clinic, partly because it was Friday, but mostly because at this stage, touch wood, it looked like I might get a good number of eggs. I was due to pick up the trigger injection the next day and then go in for my collection on the Monday morning, exactly 36 hours later. But then I got an unexpected phone call from the clinic. Sophia, my name's Nicole. I'm one of the sisters at the Lister IVF um, Oh, hello. Hi. Hi there. Are you free to talk for a minute? Yeah, go for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, look, I just wanted to let you know that we've um, 
we've reviewed the results of your uh, scan and blood test this mm. afternoon with Dr. Nicopolis, mm -hmm. and your estrogen level has come back quite high. Okay. So in light of that, he'd actually like to do your egg collection on Sunday. Oh, wow. Okay. So, lovely Dr. James wanted to do my collection early because I had high levels of estrogen. So this is very dramatic. Um, I was just having a quiet Friday afternoon snooze on my bed when my phone rang and it was a nurse at the Lister. So they want to do the egg collection on Sunday as opposed to Monday or Tuesday, which is all very exciting. Um, unfortunately, it means I've got to get back in the car and go back to the Lister, which is like a 45 minute drive for the second time today, to pick up my uh, trigger injection, which I didn't stupidly get this morning, uh, and also to have a COVID swab. So that's what I'm doing. Anyway, sudden moment of high drama. I will report back later. I drove back to the Lister, had my brains nearly poked out by the COVID swab, and then made my way home again to think about what this all meant to me. It's nearly trigger injection time, which is very exciting. I feel quite emotional, I think, actually, which isn't totally surprising because I've been pummeling myself with more drugs than Lance Armstrong in the past few weeks. Four weeks, actually, I think, today. Hang on, is today Friday? Yes, so four weeks exactly since I started the nasal spray. But I think it's emotional because... I was thinking on the way home from the Lister, what this trigger injection does is release my eggs and one day one of those eggs could be a baby, which is a surreal but pretty wonderful thought. I'm also pretty nervous about what I feel like tomorrow because apparently the trigger injection makes you swell like a frigging water balloon. So I think I'm going to lie on the sofa all day with my sister's new puppy. Quite a quiet Saturday, I think. I'm also feeling a little bit anxious about what I'll feel like after the operation and whether I'll have any sort of hormone crash. I'm a bit worried that might happen after the operation as my body goes back to normal. We'll see. Despite my reservations about how the trigger injection would make me feel and what would happen after the operation, I was actually quite excited about taking my final injection of Menopure and the trigger injection that evening. In the back of my mind, though, I was still thinking about my interviews with Sally and Alice, who had both frozen eggs that didn't result in babies when they came to fertilise them. And they'd both mentioned freezing embryos as opposed to eggs. If you freeze embryos, the treatment is the same. You go through the egg freezing process and have your eggs collected, but then they're fertilised in the lab before being frozen. One big benefit of this is that you'll know within about a week whether your eggs are good quality and will make embryos rather than keeping them in the freezer for a few years, then discovering they won't fertilise. I spoke to Dr James about his thoughts on the two options. We've got the best level of evidence we can that frozen embryos do as well as fresh. Mm. We're increasingly confident that eggs do as well as uh, fresh, but we haven't got the numbers quite yet to completely prove that. Because this is something that my stepmother said to me when I was talking about freezing eggs and I said I was going to do it. She started saying well, you really should think about freezing embryos because I think historically that was considered the safer, more successful thing to do. I think it's partly science and partly numbers. I think, you know, embryos have a seemingly lower water content than eggs and so are slightly less prone to freeze damage. Mm -hmm. Now, we've slightly moved on with that with the new vitrification techniques. Okay. But yeah. we know 
from lots of nice studies where thousands of women have had IVF, frozen embryos work as well as fresh embryos. Mm -hmm. Thousands and thousands of women have had babies with frozen embryos. The number of babies born with frozen eggs is still relatively limited. So it's purely about getting enough data to be completely reassured. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, what we're hoping for is over the next decade, as more and more babies are born, we can have that level of data and have that direct comparison like we have with embryos. We're not quite there yet because only a small percentage of women who freeze their eggs have come back to use them. Although there's not quite enough data on it yet, Dr James seems confident that frozen eggs should work as well as frozen embryos. But there's an elephant in the room here, or about 100 million tiny squirmy elephants floating around in seminal fluid. If you're going to freeze embryos, you need sperm. And the whole reason I'm freezing my eggs is that I'm not with anyone whose sperm I want to use. So if I was going to freeze embryos, I'd have to choose a sperm donor. I talked producer Hannah through my initial thoughts on the topic. The embryo thing I'm really in two minds about at the moment. And it is just this insecurity that I have niggling away at myself because that is the question that so many people ask and so many people who've been through it ask. And it makes total sense, right? I mean, I could go through this round of freezing and I'm hoping that I get 10 eggs because my AMH is 10. So that would fit. But then what if all those 10 eggs are blanks? You know, as Alice said, that Mm. you just don't know because you can't test them. And sure, they go into the freezer and it all looks rosy. But then if I ever come to use them, they might be you know rotten eggs as it were so oh i'm just really into minds about the embryo thing because it then does add on you know a few more thousand pounds and it is quite a big emotional jump because then you're thinking okay i'm not just freezing eggs down the line that i might use with someone that i happen to be with a partner i'm actually fully then sort of having to accept the idea that i might have a baby with someone uh, someone completely random who i don't know some sort of danish man which i don't i don't really i've I've been sort of considering obviously anyway if i think about you know potentially being a a single mother in a couple of years time i just didn't think i was going to have to consider that sort of now and i think when you're going through egg freezing it's already quite an emotional process and then having to decide that does add on another layer of complication to it so that is the thing that i am mulling over but apparently it can be done very quickly you know you don't have to pick sperm six months in advance really so, yeah so how much i was going to ask how much extra time would that kind of put on and is there a deadline by which like it's a bit like yeah post your christmas cards before the 17th of december or whatever is there you know like a timeline <laughs> with the with the process i think if i was going to freeze embryos i would need to have the sperm at the lister on the day of my egg collection because they they fertilize them when they've just come out and then okay. they they develop then the embryos for five days and then hopefully you get after five days, you get what's called a blastocyst, which is a, basically a, a, an embryo, a little, you know, that multiplying cells. Um, and then those go into the freezer. And then I would know exactly how many embryos I'd have. Um, so, yeah, I think it can be done. That whole process of ordering sperm can be done relatively quickly, a bit like Amazon Prime. That's an exaggeration, by the way. Even if the sperm can be sent over to the clinic quickly... It doesn't mean the process of choosing a donor is that fast. I'll come on to that later. In my search to find someone who had frozen embryos and could talk to me about their experience, I came across a woman called Brialyn Hopper from Queens, New York, who's written about this before. So I kind of always knew that I wanted children. I grew up in a, in a um, family with a lot of kids and, and thought that that's what I wanted my own life to look like eventually. And yeah, like I dated people in my twenties and felt like 
more ready to start a family than they did, which is Mm. pretty common for a lot of women. Yeah, yeah. And then when I was in my 30s, I didn't really date very much and didn't have any serious relationships. At that point, I started thinking about doing it on my own. Was that difficult to get your head around? Did that feel like a big emotional jump? It definitely was big. It took a period of years to kind of like get used to the idea of like imagining a future as a single parent. And I looked into various options. I started the training to be a foster parent. I started looking into adoption. And for various reasons, those look like either like unaffordable or logistically um, impossible routes for me to take. So at that point, I started to look into raising. At the time, Brianna was in her late 30s and was limited by what her health insurance would cover. She was told they'd only pay for her to freeze embryos, not eggs, as egg freezing wasn't considered fertility treatment. Brianna was working for Yale University at the time and had access to their non-profit sperm bank. It's like a teeny tiny Yale University sperm bank. Uh, I think it's mainly for fertility research. Mm-hmm. They also make it available for people who use the Yale Fertility Center. I was um, able to use the Yale Fertility Center as part of my insurance. Amazing. I did have to pay for the sperm, but it because they're a nonprofit and because it was like through my employer, it was like deeply discounted. <laughs> Great. Discount sperm. Love it. <laughs> Discount, but Yale sperm. So it's top notch. Exactly. So it's basically all, all the donors are Yale undergrads. And um, that felt very strange because at the time I was, I was teaching Yale undergrads. Um, so that felt very bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Being like, was it you? Is it you? Is it you as the donor? That's amazing. There are only a few options. There's really, uh, I think, around 20 or so options. And I try to make sure they give you very limited information, but I had enough information to know that it wasn't any of my students. Great. (laughs) I think that's a good thing. (laughs) Um, I had like a slightly complicated time with finding a donor in that I took a genetic test, which I think is becoming like pretty standard where they tested me for all sorts of different like predispositions for genetic diseases. and, um, And it turned out that I had a mutation for a pretty serious genetic illness. Brialan was told the genetic illness could be passed on to a child if the donor shared the mutation. And because testing for the abnormality was quite a new thing, lots of the donors hadn't been tested for it. It turned out that like only, uh, only one of them um, was like compatible with me and tested negative yeah. for this mutation. Right. So basically, mm-hmm. uh, I originally was just overwhelmed by choosing a donor because I was just like, there are like thousands and thousands of options in the world and how do you even narrow it down? And then in the end, it was like, well, there's really only one person who's like tested this mutation. So I guess it's them. By process of elimination, <laughs> there's one guy. Okay. And it is, again, a really strange thing because like presumably, you know, like I have lots of siblings and like they've just sort of like, Uh, paired up with people and had kids without any kind of genetic testing and all their kids are fine and it's just like I think it's just the strangeness of you know most people just uh, procreate without all of this information and it it works out so just the strangeness of like what you do when you have all of this extra information then you feel compelled to take it into account. Brialan initially tried artificial insemination and got pregnant on her first go but sadly lost the pregnancy. Her doctor told her that she had fibroids and would need surgery in order to have a better chance of holding on to a future pregnancy. Brialan had the surgery and chose to freeze embryos. Like when I did my first retrieval, I think I had like 20 something 
um, Mm -hmm. eggs. And then by the time that actually turned into embryos, it was like only three of them made it to the five or six day point. After two retrievals, Brianna now has eight screened embryos in the freezer and, as luck would have it, a new boyfriend. He's not in the freezer, though. I think he's also in Queens. She told me one of the things she hadn't been expecting from the process was that it might change her views on dating. Yeah, I mean, I think in my 20s and 30s, I definitely early, yeah, in my 20s and early 30s, I was just sort of like looking, looking for someone to pair up and have a family with. Yeah, that was behind a lot of my dating choices. And I had a couple of long term relationships that I was definitely thinking that might turn into that. And And there was just, I felt a lot of pressure, like, especially as I was getting older to just sort of think like, okay, like dating is about looking for someone. It's not just like, oh, is this someone that I can like enjoy being with day to day? But it's like, is this someone that I want to be like paired with in a really serious Mm. way um, for the rest of my life? A big question. So I think that freezing my embryos made me feel like that was no longer the way that I approached the idea of dating. Because you could have a kid anyway, and then if anyone, if someone came along, that was a bonus. Yes, it's that sort of thing. It, like, I suppose by freezing embryos, it's like you put you having a baby ahead of you meeting someone, which I can see it puts you in control. It's a very liberating thing. Yeah, and I think one of the strange things that's happened lately is I've started dating someone. So part of the oddness of this is, you know, like I've only been dating this person for about four months. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's strange to be like, in my 40s and wanting to have kids and also like on birth control and (laughs) trying not to get pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens then? Okay, so this is this is an interesting development in the story. So have you mentioned to him that you have frozen embryos? Yes. So in fact, I, um, I wrote about it in my book. And uh, he actually like read that chapter and we discussed it like very early on. (laughs) great okay well then cards are all on the table yes so it's nice to have it like very much out in the open would he be averse i mean maybe this is too personal a question but is he averse to the idea of having another man's baby or have you not got that far is that like not a third date question i just feel like it's there like a lot of unknowns (laughs) yeah okay fine (laughs) so i think it's just yeah i think it's something that it's like it's not something that I was like anticipating when I was, you know, making these decisions. And so I'm just sort of like continuing to improvise. And I feel like this has been my story all along with the fertility journey, as you say, is just sort of like finding myself in a situation being like, okay, like here's, here are my like medical options. Here are my like financial options you know, given these factors, like, what am I going to do? And so I feel like I'm still kind of like taking that approach to things, just sort of being like, okay, like, this is my romantic situation. But it does make me feel just a sense of security. I just got my annual bill for my um, embryo storage. And I feel really, it makes me happy to get it in the mail and to feel like it's some kind of investment and some kind of future. Um, Totally. So, so what do you think? How old are you now? If you don't mind me I'm 42. 42. So what do you, I mean, I suppose it's quite hard given you just started dating someone. What are you thinking about them? Sort of wait and see how this relationship goes? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm simultaneously wanting to enjoy and sustain the new relationship and also like yeah. become a parent sometime in the next few years. So I'm, yeah. we'll see what happens with that. 
This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I kind of love the idea that freezing embryos might take the pressure off finding a partner. It's pretty intense to be swiping on Hinge looking for someone who you'd be willing to buy a pint for on a Friday night let alone someone who you might be genetically tied to for the rest of your life. And using a donor means there's zero pressure to tie yourself to that person. While Brie Allen had access to her discounted Yale sperm, Sally, who I spoke to in the last episode and now has a baby from IUI with a donor, got hers from Denmark. She did this partly because they tend to have more donor options than British sperm banks. So Denmark, um, there's a big, they have a big European bank and they supply across the whole of Europe. So, um, yeah. so that's why I started there and I was really happy with it. So I didn't check anywhere else. They also advise a place in Spain, but I just, okay. I never went to that website. I ended up being happy with what was available in Denmark. So you had immense difficulty in finding black sperm in Britain, right? Yes. Which is why you ended up going to, to Denmark. Why was it so difficult here? I don't know. Um, I spoke to someone at the London Sperm Bank and he said that they just don't get many people who are interested in donating. Many black people were interested in donating. So many um, sperm banks, when you put in the search criteria and you select black or race and all the other things and you click on enter, you get zero matches. Wow. Uh, The London Sperm Bank had about two or three um, profiles that they sent me, but even then, they were very specific. So one donor only wanted his children to go to heterosexual couples. Wow, I didn't know you could stipulate that. I, I didn't know, yeah. And it's hard. You, you start with this long list of um, this dream donor. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you end up just throwing it all out. Sally has a young son now and is happy with the choice she made. Her donor was open, meaning that he was up for being contacted by her. Danish sperm donors can choose to be open or anonymous, but for donations made in the UK since a law change in 2005, the donor's identity is available to the child when they reach 18. I'm very lucky that his donor is an open donor and happy to be contacted. I've already made contact with him. He knows he exists. Oh, have you? Wow. Oh, so, so do you think you'll stay in contact with him then as he grows up? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Oh, I love that. And does he want to be remotely involved or to meet him, you know, when he's a kid? Yeah, he's happy to meet him. You know, it's really funny. I sent him a picture and said, you know, does he look like anyone in your family? (laughs) (laughs) What do you say? He said, oh, no, I don't see anyone in my family or my son's been quite picky with eating. Okay. Um, You know, is that from from you? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So you kind of have, yeah, a a relationship already with him, which means your, your son presumably can. That's brilliant. 
Yeah, and also he's aware of other children as well, so donor siblings um, can be contacted, you know, yeah. I think it's really great that Sally's donor was happy to be contacted, but when the law in the UK changed in 2005, it put off a lot of British donors. This explains why so many British women end up buying sperm from Denmark. Almost half of the sperm imported into this country comes from over there. To understand more about this Viking phenomenon, and how it might work for me... I tracked down Zaga Kassiri, Director of European Operations for Cryos International, the largest sperm bank in the world, based in Denmark. But what makes Cryos so special? Why do so many women, British women, come to you guys? Uh, Well, for so many years, Cryos was already distributing sperm samples to UK uh, for for the intended parents to use uh, in their treatment. Uh, But since 2005, uh, when the legislation changed in the UK, which only allowed non-anonymous sperm donation and egg donation for that matter, we saw a huge deficit and shortfall in number of men who who wanted to come forward and be sperm donors. And Mm -hmm. as a result, banks and clinics couldn't meet the demand of patients that needed treatment with a sperm donation. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, Then, of course, they started looking outwards towards uh, sperm banks uh, in other countries. And I guess the fact that Denmark has a good reputation with regards to health, environment, education, uh, which seems to be rather good, uh, it made sperm donors from Denmark quite interesting and attractive. And the fact that the Viking sperm and genes uh, that comes from the Danish donors also (laughs) made it quite attractive. And I think... Also because we've got um, abundance of donors in Denmark because Danish men don't see uh, sperm donation. Maybe there is not as much stigma attached to it as as, as it is with with perhaps in the UK compared to UK. Right, that's what I wanted to ask. Is it more a sort of cultural? I mean, it's not, you know, like everyone's doing it in Denmark. I'm not sure not every Danish man goes to a sperm bank, but it, it seems to be that, you know, I get the impression Danish men are much more comfortable with it. Yes, yes, definitely. There is less stigma attached yep. to it. Um, and I think the fact that Cryos has been around for over 30 years it makes mm-hmm. a huge difference. Uh, mm-hmm. We've been the largest bank in the world. The donors trust coming to us because we've been so well established for many, mm-hmm. many years. I think another reason maybe I should mention very quickly is that uh, our non-anonymous or what we call now ID release donors, which are suitable for the UK use because of the legislation, Many of ours are, have extended profile, which means that the, the intending parents can actually see baby photos, they can see audio recordings of the donor voice. Uh, there is a lot of information about the donor background, what the donor's interests and hobbies are, family tree, staff impression, emotional intelligence. So there is a lot of information that patients, by a click on the on, uh, online uh, you know, search, can get from the donors that are non-anonymous and therefore this actually makes it quite appealing to them as well. Okay, so you can access far more, you can know far more about your donor in Denmark than you can say going to the London Sperm Bank. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the law in Denmark then is different to the UK. If If you're a sperm donor and you tick the box that says you never want to be contacted, by a woman who picks your sperm, you can you, your child can never trace you. Yes, that's true. Okay, fine. I see. How, do you know, out of interest, how many men? What's the breakdown with men who choose that versus men who are open to being contacted? Um, I think it is more or less uh, similar numbers. Okay, so it's sort of fairly even split. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
In the UK and Denmark, sperm donors are only paid expenses for their donations. Here in Britain, that's around 25 quid a go. And while spaffing into a cup sounds like it would only take a couple of minutes, becoming a donor is actually a fairly complex process. There's this sort of myth, I think, with sperm donors and sperm donations that it's a very easy process. I think it's partly in, in the movies and in things we've watched. It's sort of this almost this comedic thing. You know, men go to a clinic, they masturbate into a cup while watching porn, and then it's all done. It's very simple. It's very quick. Whereas actually, it's a much longer time frame that you have to commit yourself to. And it's much more complicated and more arduous than than people assume. So could you just explain for people who don't know the sort of from the start to the end, how long a sperm donor, you know, and what it all involves, how long it takes and what it involves really? Sure, sure. Actually, it's it's not a very quick procedure. So uh, basically the way uh, the way it works is, is, is actually a long-term commitment from the donors that we need that come and apply to the program. First of all, uh, we only have five to 10% of applications approved all the way to when they become a donor. So when a potential donor comes through, they go through initial checks, there's, uh, their sperm sample is checked, and then they have to go through a number of screening processes, which is actually uh, quite a lot that we cover to make sure that their physical and psychological profiles are healthy, and they meet the, the very strict criteria and the standard that we have at Cryos mm-hmm. in order to produce a a a very high quality sperm sample so for those tests they need to come in a number of times and once they clear uh, from that test once we approve them as a suitable uh, sperm donor then they have to they come roughly around two to three times a week some more some less to produce samples okay and then these samples and this can go on for a few weeks period and then these samples, we actually then need to check each production that they do. We check them for all parameters of, of sperm to make sure that they are normal. We also check, not only check them before we freeze them, we check them after we freeze them and oh, wow. throw a small sample of that batch to make sure that that particular batch of sperm we've frozen from this donor still meets the criteria and survives mm. quite well. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite a lengthy process. One thing I didn't know about before speaking to Saga was that each donor can only donate for up to 10 women or couples over their donor career. I suppose so that down the line, siblings don't accidentally end up shagging one another. And if you're really feeling flush, on the Cryos website, there are some profiles with gold stickers, meaning if you buy that sperm, you're the only person that can use it. Obviously, that makes it pretty expensive. If you opt for one of these exclusive donors, it will set you back between 12 and 36,000 euros, although sperm from a normal donor is much less, anything from a few hundred quid upwards. So, if I was going to stump up the cash to buy myself some Viking sperm, how soon could I do it? How quickly can Cryos move? If someone goes on the website, finds a donor that they like, how quickly can you say, therefore, then send sperm to London? We, we always advise the patients to give themselves uh, a few weeks because once you go on a website, you will see that you have got so many choices mm. that uh, it can take a while for you to decide who you would like as a sperm donor. Yeah. From our side, we move quite fast. We actually supply sperm to majority of IVF clinics in UK. Mm-hmm. So the established route is already there and we're very fast at getting things organized. I can do it in a matter of 
dates. However, we find that that selection process takes longer. And then uh, what we find is that if that selection process takes longer, by the time the patient or the intended parents want to order a sperm donor that they want, it then gets too close to their treatment that uh, everything needs to be done in a rush way. So mm-hmm. therefore, you know, we advise that you give yourself a few weeks because you actually need to, you know, look at the sperm donors we have, maybe shortlist a few and go back and relook at the ones that you've shortlisted to choose the one that you actually would like. Yes. And I suppose the other problem might be that if all, although if you spend too long, what happens if you spend too long deliberating and you think you've narrowed it down to the perfect donor and then I get in contact with you guys and they say, oh, no, sorry, it's suddenly gone. Someone Does that happen? Excellent point. Yes, that is the case. Uh, that can happen. And therefore, we ask that you make two or three donors your favourite. And then at least if you, after all your search that you've done, you don't end up with one, which by the time you make a decision may have gone. I felt like it was perhaps a little late in the egg freezing process for me to be thinking about freezing embryos. I wouldn't want to rush into choosing a donor and then regret it later on if my child ended up with a weird nose or a tendency to pick their toenails. But even though I'm not going to freeze embryos right now, I still might use a donor down the line. And I was really curious. It seems like such an amazing, altruistic thing to do. What makes someone decide to donate their sperm? Why did that become important to you? No, I don't... Important. Well, maybe that's the wrong word. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's something we should we should come back to. But, uh, mm-hmm. but to, to take it out from the beginning, I guess a few of my friends, they were talking about it and, uh, and it seemed like it's a legit option for uh, at least fairly young men to have the opportunity both to help out some people and also, you know, you get financially compensated right it's also a, a part of it and we were just talking back and forth and it, it it seemed like a like a good and maybe even a fun fun thing to do this is john a man from denmark who started donating sperm around four years ago you mentioned the the issue of of something being important and mm. i would say important is like in the same category as Emotions. It's it's like in the feeling category. Yeah. And I think the whole clinical uh, process of becoming a donor and and it's it's very clinical um, to keep the emotions out of it. it mm. uh, that that helps, I think. Right. So you didn't actually find it emotional or difficult or you know at any point. You just it was like a sort of medical procedure that you were just going through. Yeah, yeah. You sign some paper. You you read something. You you write something. And then, of course, you have to get tested to make sure that you are in, in good, good health and, uh, and not crazy. <laughs> I got the thumbs up, apparently. <laughs> good. Glad to hear it. Okay, so do you know anyone who had infertility problems? Because I think that's quite a common reason for, for sperm and egg donating, that somebody has known someone in their family or a friend who, who've had trouble getting pregnant was that the case yeah, with you? I, I, I didn't know uh, I didn't know anyone beforehand but I it came to my attention that that one of my very good friends have problems mm-hmm. then actually we, we had the we had the conversation and and I told him that uh, that uh, that I'm a donor oh wow what did he say uh, he hoped he didn't pick me <laughs> <laughs> That would be a great film, actually. I think that's a very good storyline for a movie. Yeah, 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 maybe, maybe. (laughs) 
So you've been donating on a fairly regular basis then for four years. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's quite a big sort of time commitment on top of, you know, anything else, no? Well, it's on the way to work. (laughs) (laughs) I'd come into this interview expecting quite a deep, emotional conversation about life and legacy. But John seemed unbelievably chilled about the whole thing. A friend of mine who'd used a sperm donor picked him on the basis of a very moving letter he wrote to any future children. Quite a few clinics asked their donors to do this. My friend said the letter was really emotional and poignant and had her in tears. I was interested to hear what John thought of that process. Did you find that even emotional? You know, trying to imagine a child, you know, down your child down the line reading that? Mm. First of all, I think it's important to, to stress that it's not my child. I'm a, I'm a donor. Yeah, true. Uh, Good point. Giving other people the, uh, you can say, the opportunity to, to have a child. Maybe that's why the, the letter was fun to write, because mm-hmm. I really tried to pull out a lot of emotions from it, like keeping it light, keeping it a little fun, mm-hmm. uh, and really try to, try to stress out that, that I'm, I'm really not not a part of it like people giving blood to something someone doing surgery are not part of that person it's like i just contributed to an opportunity so okay so that's interesting so you view sperm donating a bit like giving blood it's that sort of level of of sort of donating it's sort of impersonal in a way as you said very clinical yeah and also i would say that if you are very emotional attached to your sperm you shouldn't donate. <laughs> to hear John compare sperm donation to giving blood was kind of extraordinary. It was a totally different way of thinking about it. I guess egg freezing is such an emotionally charged process that I'd imagine sperm donation might be too. But for John, it really did seem very straightforward. Say, you know, in a few years down the line, you potentially could be contacted by the bank by someone who's had a child using your donation. Probably. Okay, and sort of, how does that make you feel? Um, I I guess I put it as an option because if if someone feels that it can help them somehow, mm-hmm. I would be happy to give them the opportunity to to meet me and and to talk to me. But I would also I would still stress that that I'm not part of the family. Okay, yeah, just to be very clear about that. Yeah, it's not the child I'm helping. I'm helping a parents mm. to do something they feel meaningful with the, with their lives mm-hmm. that's like the extent of my ability to help what happens from from there on is is perfectly up to them i have an agreement with the bank and and that's kind of what i stick to in a way it's quite reassuring to hear how relaxed he is about donation it makes it feel very no strings attached in the nature versus nurture debate john clearly thinks that nurture wins how much can you put on the on the donor for people being what they are? Of course, there's a, there's a whole gene pool thing going on, but but what people what they experience or what they turn out to be or like the potential they have, whether they use that potential or not, it's it's like sometimes I I feel the whole discussion uh, circles around that that the donor needs to take responsibility for all that and. And I don't really think that's that's a fair way to portray it all. Right. From your point of view, you have just decided to help people who might be struggling to have a child. 
and that's where your responsibility ends. Yeah. The idea that a baby's life is more determined by their environment than by their genes makes sense to me. And it's comforting to know that there are donors out there who really just want to help. It makes me feel less freaked out, more encouraged about using one. But despite all the reasons of freezing embryos, sealing the deal on who the genetic father would be was still a big sticking point for me. Choosing a donor and freezing embryos feels too close to signing up for single parenthood. And while I haven't ruled it out in the future, I wasn't ready to make that commitment yet. Of course, I could find someone who's happy to have a baby that doesn't share his genes. But if I'm being fussy about passing on my height and my fondness for prep blueberry muffins, it's only fair to think a partner might feel the same about their own character traits. Anyway, at this point, I just had to focus on my eggs. Dun, dun, dun. Time for the trigger injection. Finally, 10.30. It's just one pre-filled syringe. Apparently it has an air bubble that I mustn't get rid of for some reason. I don't totally know why. You can also apparently do it in your thigh, but why break the habit of a lifetime, I reckon? I'm just going to stick it into my stomach. The last injection. Needle looks pretty much the same. Okay, okay, okay. Don't know why I feel a bit sick about this one. Okay, one, two, three, it's going in. Oh, God, a lot of it. Plunging, 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 still plunging, still plunging, still plunging. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. Out again. Okay. That's bleeding a bit. Okay. That's my last injection. That is very exciting. I'm pretty psyched that that is finally over. The next day, the day before my operation, I was even more bloated and used it as an opportunity to stay at home shoveling in junk food. So it's the penultimate day, the day before my egg retrieval. Um, Got to be honest, I've spent it mostly in my dressing gown. I've been quite lazy today. I basically just felt a bit lethargic and slow all day. Um, I suppose my body's busy ovulating around, well, maybe between 15 to 20 eggs when normally it's just the one. So there is a lot going on. I've eaten as if I'm about to hibernate for winter today. Uh, but I've told myself I, they say I won't be eating until lunchtime tomorrow because it's nil by mouth from 7am. So I set the alarm for 6.30 ahead of getting a cab from home into hospital. And then my sister's going to pick me up around midday. I've also just got into bed and realised I haven't shaved my bikini line. So that is unfortunate. If I can face it first thing tomorrow morning, I might have a quick whip round. A quick tidy up, but otherwise, poor Dr. James will just have to deal with it. He's probably seen worse, right? I hope. Who knows? Um, another personal detail. You might... <laughs> I don't know if this is appropriate. Anyway, I've had incredibly sore nipples basically all day. <laughs> I know this isn't an erotic chat line, but I thought I'd let you in on that little detail. Um, plus, my stomach is pretty hard and swollen. It's like a combination of trapped wind and period pain, basically. Um, Occasionally I feel sad that I'm doing this all on my own, but sometimes I'm quite grateful there's no other half to witness this. 
Next time, it's the moment we've all been waiting for, my operation, and I finally find out how many eggs I've got. I also have a bit of a post-operation crisis involving a lot of tears and the world's kindest Uber driver. Oh, that's ridiculous. Okay. Oh, I just want to go home. Freezing Time was produced and written by Hannah Varrell and Sophia Money Coots and created by Offscript. Remember, you can subscribe to Freezing Time on your favourite podcast app. And please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts or share on social media. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cosy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewellery, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.